from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And a lot of those are of uh, pyro-dependent uh, uh, species. Uh, a lot of trees need, trees and vegetation need fire to burn through in order to open up the ground for new growth and also to also disperse seeds. We know what the weather parameter is going to be for the day. We uh, test the fuels, we test the uh, humidity, temperature, wind. I'm Sarah Fenske. In some quarters, prescribed burns get a bad rap. This land management tool is being blamed for the Hermit's Peak Fire that's recently scorched more than 300,000 acres in New Mexico. But in Missouri, prescribed burns are an important part of a forest firefighter's arsenal. Since last October alone, firefighters from the Mark Twain National Forest have treated more than 47,000 acres using prescribed burns. Benny Terrell has spent 22 years as a fuel specialist for the USDA Forest Service, and he joins us now to share about that work and also about his upcoming trip to the West Coast to fight fires there. Benny Terrell, welcome. I'm glad you had me. Thank you. Thanks for being on. So, Benny, outsiders might think of forest fires as destructive forces. What's the difference between just a blaze and a prescribed burn? So a prescribed burn is something that uh, we go in and to manage. So it's management that's been put in place, plants that have been put in place to uh, help control the fire. So we're in a considered a managed wildfire situation when we're doing prescribed fire. Uh, unmanaged wildfires are the ones that are natural sets or arson or man-made sets that are uh, pretty much out of our control. And when I speak of our control, I mean that we don't have all the information as far as the weather parameters of the fuels out there and the topography. So we're kind of like a shot in the dark when you're dealing with uh, unmanaged fires. But we try to go out there and to gather as much information, as much intel. So we, when we deploy uh, firefighters and uh, our resources there on the ground, that they'll be have the the accurate amount of information so they can fight fire uh, safely in the environment that they are and provide for protection for uh, personal property and the public. So when you're doing one of these prescribed burns, um, are you guys actually starting these fires? Yes. Yeah, so we find areas that are naturally uh, naturally would have uh, had prescribed burn in it in the past. And so we go off of the uh, information that we've had from researchers. And then we go out and uh, find uh, pieces of land. Uh, we call them stands, uh, compartments, uh, landscapes, or watersheds, or they're identified in our plans. And we uh, set them uh, on fire to burn, but it's in a controlled environment as far as we know what the weather parameter is going to be for the day. We uh, test the fuels. We test the uh, humidity, temperature, wind parameters. And then we also uh, deploy enough resources based off of uh, the fire behavior because we take all the information that we have and we run a fire analysis on it so we can be better prepared to have enough resources to control the fire in case things uh, take a turn for the worse. And more than likely, things do not take a turn for the worse because, uh, it's like I said, it's, an, it's somewhat of a controlled environment. Only um, 
a portion of that atmosphere that is uh, not controlled is the weather. And sometimes the weather does change for us. And then we have uh, mechanisms in place, uh, uh, mitigation mechanisms that we put in place that we uh, shut a prescribed fire down before uh, it becomes uh, uncontrollable. So you have kind of a, a controlled area where you've sort of corralled, like, here's where we're willing to let this fire go. We're going to make sure it doesn't go beyond that. Yes, yes. And uh, those are our contingency plans that we have in place. So we have uh, lines that are built. They have fuel breaks in them. Some of them are natural. Some of them are man-made fuel breaks. And when I speak of fuel breaks, that means the fuel is uh, um, either cut or removed so the fire will not pass over uh, into uh, an area that we don't want it to burn in. And when you're talking about the fuel, what would you typically use for a prescribed burn here in Missouri? So fuel, when I speak of fuel, uh, I'm talking about the dead and down timber and vegetation that's on the ground. That's what we call fuel that will ignite uh, based off of uh, weather conditions and based off the the amount of moisture that's in the material that's left on the ground. And so a lot of that material is left on the ground, uh, either from uh, natural ways of trees uh, dying and falling and falling to the ground, and then also lower vegetation that's dying and uh, and leaf litter and things things like that. And then also uh, we know because uh, Missouri does have a a timber industry here, so a lot of that uh, material is also left behind after uh, timber practices as well. And so when you say you're creating a fuel break where there won't just be a continuous line of stuff to burn up, you're basically clearing out that stuff that would be there naturally to, to make sure you can stop that fire when you want it to stop? Yes, yeah, so it'll it'll be uh, kind of boxed in into our plan uh, lines that we want to burn out. So we won't burn more than uh, what we had planned. So this sounds like um, such interesting work. It also sounds really tricky. Have there ever been times when you're out there and it's like, wow, this this fire is is getting bigger and hotter than what we intended? Uh, I would say. Um pretty much more than likely no, because we do do our due diligence to uh, put a, put as much uh, analysis in, and, uh, and we go out to the field and we check and do fuel measurements in the field before we uh, light the match. And then also we have our internal processes that we have to work through as far as our prescribed burn plan, which is a legal document that we make. And in that legal document, it says pretty much everything that we plan on doing. And then also it has prescriptions in it, and the prescription is the parameter we plan to burn at. And then if that uh, if that day uh, from the weather information seems like we're going to be out of prescription, we will not burn on that day. And so we also have to run uh, that information up to the supervisors that's above us, and they have to approve of it as well. So it, it takes a lot more uh, uh, paperwork and a lot more detailed discussion between uh, supervisors and the uh, people who are implementing the uh, prescribed burns on the ground before we ever light a match. Hmm. So before we dig into some of the details of, of how this works and of your work, um, we should mention the Forest Service talks about prescribed fires as a method for restoring a forest. And that's something, Benny, that, that might seem counterintuitive. You're going to burn it in order to restore it. What's restorative about these fires? So uh, what has been uh, found in the last uh, 20 to 30-some years of fire research is that a lot of these landscapes uh, across the U.S., 
And globally, they depend on fire sets, and the fire sets were natural fire sets. And then uh, pre-settlement here in um in America, they were uh, indigenous fire sets, and some of it was because of uh, agriculture. Some of it was uh, to control uh, uh, pests and things like that. And um, so those sets were on the ground. And so over time, ecologically, the trees evolved to uh, to be um, more susceptible to the fire. And so uh, a lot of trees need trees and vegetation need fire to burn through in order to open up the ground for new growth and also to also disperse seeds as well. And so there's some tree species, some uh, some trees that uh, need fire in order to disperse their seeds. And a lot of those are of uh, pyro uh, dependent uh, species. And so a lot of those are out west because they do have larger fires out west, and so those over time, those species became more dependent on the wildfire that burned through there naturally from lightning sets. And so most of the fires that we see uh, nationally on the news are the natural set fires. Those are lightning-caused fires that we see. And then uh, here in Missouri, most of our fires here are uh, man-made sets, and so a lot of them are campfires that may have got out, uh, arson, um fires that uh, come from um, car fires and things like that on roads and industry. It depends on, you know, the how dry it is out in the, um, in, the, in the woods and how dry it is in the environment in order for you to get a set. We're talking today to Benny Terrell. He is a fuel specialist for the USDA Forest Service working there in the Mark Twain National Forest uh, here in Missouri. What an interesting job Benny has. And if you have questions for him, he's willing to answer those questions. Or if you have questions about fire uh, forest management and and how prescribed burns fit into that, you can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Benny, thinking about your work... So you're a fuel specialist. You're there to make sure that these prescribed burns are going exactly where they're meant to go and no further. When there is a fire that is inadvertently set in Missouri, say a campfire, somebody doesn't properly extinguish it, it it sets some of the Mark Twain forest ablaze. Is that something that you also get involved in fighting? Yeah, so most of our uh, employees that uh, work in fire uh, pretty much uh, start out as firefighters. So they have a firefighting background. And so uh, based off of uh, your qualifications and uh, and the requirements that may be asked of uh, when a fire is set, which we call incidents, uh, we go out and to assess uh, where the fire is and then start starting to uh, receive intel about the topography, the weather, the location, and things like that. And then we start to make plans, plan out how safely we can put this fire out if there's um, the public uh, threatening, and as far as public being threatening, uh, as far as structures, uh, as far as people that may be in the area, we send out information to uh, let them know that there's a fire in the area. And in most cases here in Missouri, in the rural areas, uh, we hardly ever have those impacts, but we do have had history where we have gone through drought conditions and where we had to uh, uh, notify the public ahead of time and then also put some evacuation plans in place because of uh, the characteristics of the weather and the characteristics of the fuel at the time. Mm-hmm. And we go and suppress those fires. 
Hmm. Good for you. Well, we are glad you're there to do that work. I'm curious about your background. You've been doing this for 22 years. Had, had you been a firefighter before that, as, as you said, is a common pathway to this job? Uh, my common pathway is uh, I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I went to school at Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I received a degree in urban forestry and with a concentration in forestry management. And when I started to work for the Forest Service, I worked a lot in recreation, trails and recreation. And then uh, later on in my career, uh, I saw that uh, I wanted to help out more, you know, serve the community more, and mm -hmm. that's become a firefighter. And so I started out in Region 3, which is uh, for the Forest Service that is uh, New Mexico and Arizona. And and out west, they have a lot of fires. And so I started to uh, get involved in wildland firefighting and uh, got my feet wet there and then wanted to come back home and help support here. And so uh, I started here on the Mark Twain National Forest in 2001. Hmm. So I know from my time living out west, um, you know, fires were just constantly a problem when you get to Arizona, when you get to California. Is this a less stressful job doing this here in Missouri? Uh, it's not less stressful. Uh, we try to uh, uh, concentrate our efforts on uh, helping suppress as many fires and getting the information out that Missouri does have fires. Uh, we do not have uh, the larger scale fires that they have, but we have multiple sets because, like I said, we, we have man-made cause fires. And mm -hmm. so we either have campfires or incidental fires or arson fires and things like that. And we try to uh, educate the public on what days are good days to burn because we know that uh, in southern Missouri, uh, the um, the culture is to burn off uh, your natural resource lands. And so you want to either burn it off uh, either for new vegetation to come up or you want to burn it off to clear out areas that you plan on uh, planning out uh, to do more timber practices or just open up areas. And so a lot of times that we burn on the Mark Twain National Forest, ours is more eco uh, ecosystem-driven. And so we're burning to uh, uh, restore uh a vegetation or to restore uh, some of the species that may uh, have been hit by uh, poor uh, forest management uh, 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so those habitats become inhabitable for the species there. And so we burn to uh, reduce the fuels, but also to uh, restore that ecosystem back and open for a lot of species. And one of the species is the brown-headed nuthatch, which we have incorporated back into our a pine oak woodland species in southern Missouri. So that's great. So we're really seeing these tactics pay off. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the phone lines. Helen is calling from Kirkwood. Uh, Helen, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I have uh, kind of a two-parter. First, um, as I understood it, um, you work for a federal agency, and I was just curious if, if um, your agency has uh, like full decision-making control for your work or if there are laws or even state laws that are that are um, uh, a mandate you have to follow and and my second question is I'm curious if there are private or other groups who um, who resist or um, try to block that kind of work that you do thank you Helen those are some great questions there Benny thoughts on those Yes. So your uh, first question is that we are a federal agency, but uh, by law, we have before we could uh, go and 
uh, and implement a plan as far as prescribed burning, uh, we have to go through a process. It's called the environmental uh, process that we have to do is our NEPA process. And so we have to actually go out and to analyze what's on the ground, but also adhere to uh, the laws and the regulations of that state that we're working with, those partners that we're working with as well. And so what we do is uh, go in and we write up a plan, and then that plan is also reviewed by any entity that may be involved by uh, our implementation efforts. And then if there are concerns, we try to address those concerns through our NEPA process, and that's sending out information, more information or doing more research on our end so we can answer those questions before uh, implementation is involved. And so we do uh, our due diligence on our side, and then sometimes projects are not uh, executed because uh, the concerns outweigh the uh, benefits. And so we move those projects to other areas where they will be more beneficial. And then um, I forgot your second question. Uh, Helen was asking about private groups, whether there were ever outsiders, like beyond government entities, that were challenging of these plans to burn things. Yes. So we have, uh, there have been environmental groups uh, that are against uh, some of the forest management that we've done in the past. But I think over the years, based off the research that's uh, been forthcoming in the last 20 years, uh, we're able to explain a little bit more about our processes and, and our efforts. And, and a lot of our efforts are ecosystem driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, uh, we did do, uh, had policies in place where we put fire out, but we didn't naturally let it do uh, what it's supposed to do for the, uh, the land. And so that kind of put us in a position where we created uh, uh, atmosphere out in the um, in the uh, forest or the wooded areas where the fuels levels were built up, where when we did have wildfires, then uh, it calls for more resources to come in or it calls for a bigger amount of money to be paid in order to suppress that fire. And so that's the other benefit of it for tax dollars, that it's, it's easier for us to do a prescribed burn and uh, more beneficial tax-wise for us to go out and do a prescribed burn to take care of that, those fuels before we have a wildfire. Because when a wildfire happens, we have to uh, put more money towards the effort, and that's on a, in an uncontrolled environment. And we're, when we're working in a controlled environment, we're, we're able to control some of the expenditures, and we're able to control uh, uh, the management, what we're doing out there in the field, and it'll be a lesser cost to the public. Helen, I want to thank you for those those questions there. And Benny, as we talk about this and, and some of the resistance, which, uh, you know, does seem to be fading more to this whole concept of prescribed burns, yet you see something like what happened in New Mexico, um, where basically the forest ranger admitted that the prescribed burn was the cause of this really catastrophic fire, 300,000 acres. Um, they're taking full responsibility for that. But do you worry that incidents like that could shake confidence in the strategy of using these prescribed burns. Yes, there, that is a concern because uh, you know, just like every tool that you try to use, uh, sometimes um, you know, you it comes with a, uh, I guess, a negative uh, backlash or 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 it, it, it the plan that you had in place it didn't work as properly as you thought it would. Mm-hmm. But we try to use these mechanisms, like I talked about earlier, to. Uh, help uh, reduce the fuels 
and to help uh, improve the ecosystems that when we do get wildfires in there and those areas that they won't burn as catastrophic as uh, we call them today, as catastrophic as they are. And so uh, we try to treat land where when we do get a fire in the treated land, that it will fall into a parameter will be more manageable and uh, less expensive uh, to the government and to the public as well. And then also uh, long term, we uh, uh, by treating land uh, in amount of fuels that's built up, you can reduce uh, the impact that it's going to have on the air and the atmosphere and things like that. And so that's our whole effort is to uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, caring for the land and also serving the people is uh, our model for the Forest Service. And so we try to uh, wrap every plan and every implementation idea around uh, those things and then providing for safety first and foremost. And so uh, my heart goes out to those people, the firefighters and the public that's uh that's been impacted by the Hermit Peaks fires. I know that uh, those guys who uh, uh, wanted to uh, go in and do that prescribed burn, they had uh, good intentions Mm -hmm. to uh, put that prescribed burn on the ground to reduce the fuels. And you can see because uh, uh, their efforts of uh, trying to reduce the fuels, how built up the fuels were in those areas. Yeah. Well, this is such a a tricky problem, and it's good to know that Missouri, um, as far as the Mark Twain forest goes, that this is in good hands. You guys are really thinking through um, every prescribed burn that you do. And I know you're also headed out west to help people out there. So, uh, Benny, Terrell, I want to thank you for your service and, and for joining us today. All right. Thank you, guys. And Benny is a fuel specialist for the U.S. Forest Service at the Mark Twain National Forest. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.